I have 422 friends, yet I'm lonely. I speak to all of them every day, yet none of them really know me. The problem I have sits in the spaces between, looking into their eyes or at a name on a screen. I took a step back and opened my eyes. I looked around and realised that this media we call social is anything but when we open our computers and it's our doors we shut. All this technology we have, it's just an illusion. Community companionship, a sense of inclusion. Yet when you step away from this device of delusion, you awaken to see a world of confusion. A world where we're slaves to the technology we mastered, where information gets sold by some rich, greedy bastard. A world of self-interest, self-image, self-promotion, where we all share our best bits but leave out the emotion. We're at our most happy with an experience we share, but is it the same if no one is there? Be there for your friends, and they'll be there too, but no one will be if a group message will do. We edit and exaggerate, crave adulation. We pretend not to notice the social isolation. We put our words into order until our lives are glistening. We don't even know if anyone is listening. Being alone isn't a problem. Let me just emphasise, if you read a book, paint a picture or do some exercise, you're being productive and present, not reserved and recluse. You're being awake and attentive and putting your time to good use. So when you're in public and you start to feel alone, put your hands behind your head, step away from the phone. You don't need to stare at your menu or at your contact list. Just talk to one another. Learn to coexist. I can't stand to hear the silence of a busy commuter train where no one wants to talk through the fear of looking insane. We're becoming unsocial. It no longer satisfies to engage with one another and look into someone's eyes. We're surrounded by children who, since they were born, have watched us living like robots and think it's the norm. It's not very likely you'll make world's greatest dad if you can't entertain a child without using an iPad. When I was a child, I'd never be home. Be out with my friends on our bikes, we would roam. I'd wear holes in my trainers and graze up my knees. We'd build our own clubhouse high up in the trees. Now the park's so quiet, it gives me a chill. See no children outside and the swings hanging still. There's no skipping, no hopscotch, no church and no steeple. We're a generation of idiots, smartphones and dumb people. So look up from your phone, shut down the display. Take in your surroundings, make the most of today. Just one real connection is all it can take to show you the difference that being there can make. Be there in the moment that she gives you the look that you remember forever as when love overtook. The time she first holds your hand or first kiss your lips. The time you first disagree but still love her to bits. The time you don't have to tell hundreds of what you've just done because you want to share this moment with just this one. The time you sell your computer so you can buy a ring for the girl of your dreams who is now the real thing. The time you want to start a family and the moment when you first hold your little girl and get to fall in love again. The time she keeps you up at night and all you want is rest and the time you wipe away the tears as your baby flees the nest. The time your baby girl returns for a boy for you to hold and the time he calls you granddad and makes you feel real old. The time you take in all you've made just by giving life attention and how you're glad you didn't waste it by looking down at some invention. The time you hold your wife's hand, sit down beside her bed you tell her that you love her, lay a kiss upon her head. She then whispers to you quietly, as her heart gives a final beat, that she's lucky she got stopped by that lost boy in the street. But none of these times ever happened. You never had any of this. 
When you're too busy looking down, you don't see the chances you miss. So look up from your phone, shut down those displays. We have a finite existence, a set number of days. Don't waste your life getting caught in the net, as when the end comes, nothing's worse than regret. I'm guilty too of being part of this machine, this digital world we are heard but not seen, where we type as we talk and we read as we chat, where we spend hours together without making eye contact. So don't give in to a life where you follow the hype, give people your love, don't give them your like. Disconnect from the need to be heard and defined, go out into the world, leave distractions behind. Look up from your phone, shut down that display. Stop watching this video. Live life the real way. A series that we're calling Heads Up to evaluate what God might want to say to us when we think about all the technology around us and how distracting it can be and how defining it can be for our lives. Um, we've used this verse in Ephesians 5 as sort of a guidepost for what we're talking about. Ephesians five fifteen to 17 says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And that's been our framework for why we want to approach technology with intentionality, why we don't want to just sort of float along and do what everyone else is doing and wake up one day and realize we're not the people that we wanted to be, and even worse, we're not the people God wants us to be uh, because we've been so distracted. A few weeks ago, I shared with you uh, what I like to call the best test, and it's just four simple questions out of the book of 1 Corinthians that we can ask when the Apostle Paul was kind of confronting a church that was saying, well, wait, I'm allowed to do that, aren't I? I mean, I can do whatever I want. And he says, well, that's really the wrong question. It's not what are you allowed to do, it's what's best. It's, it's what would build up. It's what would bring glory to God. And then there in the second one, uh, he says, you know, everything might be permissible or allowable in your way of thinking, but, but we can't let ourselves be mastered by anything. We can't become bound. We can't willingly sell ourselves into slavery. And yet we find that so many of us have a lot of trouble looking up from our phone, have a lot of trouble turning off the TV, uh, because little by little, imperceptibly, it's not like one day we just woke up and chose to be addicts, but imperceptibly we've grown too attached to our technology. So I want to start with a question to you, a direct question, that only you know the answer to in your heart. Are you addicted to your media? Are you addicted to your media? I'd like to explore with you a little bit of the context of the text that we looked at and that we've been using as our framework, Ephesians 5. And you could turn there in the scripture with me as we approach this question. Ephesians 5, we'll start reading in verse 3. This whole book of Ephesians, by the way, is about like the amazing salvation that God has given us and then the calling that we've received. And the second part of the book sort of answers the question, how do I live the way that I've been called to live? What, what has God saved me to do? And so here we have all these amazing instructions about the kind of life we get to live. So chapter 5, verse 3. 
Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as a people of light. This light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly do, ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When I was reading this text in the context of our series and thinking about what it looks like to awake, O sleeper, I was thinking about what Dell shared with us couple weeks ago when he said that that a a life that kind of everything is happening through the phone and not like actually to you is almost like a living death because you've given away who you are your attention isn't even your own and so what what is your life at that point I was thinking about all of all of us kind of in this zombie-ish condition and then like waking up and realizing wow there's there's an amazing resurrection life available like wake up sleepers Christ will shine on you there's so much more that you could be experiencing. And then verse 15, which is our theme. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music in your hearts to the Lord. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, zero in with me on verse 18. Verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, because why? That will ruin your life. So if we were talking to an alcoholic this morning, we would say, hey, don't go that road. Like, we, have, we all know what that results in. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that define you. It will ruin your life. Instead, what should you do? Be filled with something other than alcohol, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with God himself. Like, let that be the thing that overtakes you and fills you and defines you. Now, verse 18 is obviously a verse that we could encourage someone who does have an alcohol addiction with. And we can say, hey, here's the path for you. I mean, it's very simplified. We know there's a lot to it. But if you were summarizing, that's it, right? Don't be drunk with wine anymore. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I think that it would be appropriate to take that same verse and cycle in a few other addictions that are possible. Right? So we could say, don't give your body to drugs. Because why? That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
We could say, don't give yourself to media addiction. Because why? That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, you know, addiction always is tapping into something that is a God-given desire, but it takes, it goes too far. And, and suddenly what started out innocent or simple or just one time becomes a pattern, and pretty soon it's a pattern you can't get out of because you've actually retrained yourself to depend on that pattern for your very sense of well-being, your happiness, your joy. So instead of letting all of those addictions ruin your life, we turn to God instead. And we say, Lord, the same vacuum that I thought I was filling with my addiction, I want to fill with you instead. Now, we, we know, I mean, if you've tried to overcome an addiction, you know there's a lot, there's a lot to it, right? There's, a, there's recovery, there's repentance, there's humility, there's accountability, there's a lot there. But at the end of the day, what we have to do is walk away from something that's addicting us of this world and instead walk into the life of Jesus, walk into his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, the new life he made possible for us. When you flip on your phone or your TV or anything in between, I think that you are at risk, as I am, for falling into one of the seven deadly media addictions. There's probably more than seven, but I've got seven to share with you today. Things that might start innocent, but in the end they end up trapping you, captivating you, and turning you into someone that God didn't design you to be. So, let me walk through these seven with you. The first, and maybe the most obvious, is the porn trap. I, I heard that 30% of internet traffic is pornographic, which is astounding if you think of that. It's also something that, well, we could put our heads in the sand and say, well, it's, it's not in my life or my family or you know, my kids aren't tempted with that. The reality of this, this is everywhere. It's pervading everything. And it's a trap that locks you into a fake version of love and intimacy. And once your brain gets trapped by it, it takes you down a rabbit hole and it's very difficult to ever come out. And yet, I'll just do it one more time. I'll just look at one more image. I'll just click and no one will know. This trap might be the most egregious when you think of it in reference to what God made you to be and the spirit that God put in you and the life and the desire for relationship. Your very humanity itself is attacked when you walk into this trap. Here's another. The endless scroll. I find myself stuck by this sometimes. Maybe you do. Where even though there are things to do, and we all have things to do, there, you might even have like someone trying to talk to you or some, like you're late for an appointment, but you're scrolling and you're just thinking like, okay, just a little bit more. Like a little bit more of what? What, what, what am I looking for? I don't even know. It's just what, what's going to happen if I keep scrolling. 
In Ecclesiastes, the writer who you remember from a few weeks ago, he was the guy that had tried everything the world could possibly offer and still said it was meaningless. He said, there's no end to what you can see. There's no, there's no amount of content you could ever absorb where you're like, great, I've, I've seen enough. No, there's always just this little bit more to hear, a little bit more to see, a little bit more to experience. And if you let your brain get caught in the endless scroll, you start sacrificing the things that matter for the things that don't. Here's another deadly addiction. We haven't really addressed this in our Heads Up series yet, but it's the daily destruction. Someone gave me this book called The Assassination Generation. There's, it's full of research, as many other books have been written about the same thing are as well about how the violence that we expose ourselves to, particularly when it's video game-based, not just movies, actually does rewire us and turn us into different people. One study showed that it took just three months of daily violent video games to increase aggressive behavior in kids. That is where you might say, well, I can tell the difference. Like, I know where fiction stops and reality begins. Kids can't especially if from their first moments of language and ability, they've been shooting things and killing things. There's so, so many sad stories profiled in here. One, in 2007, um, a judge was trying to summarize his ruling after he had to sentence a teenager who killed his parents because they took away his video games. This teen... According to the judge, he said he actually didn't believe that the teen thought his parents would be dead forever. Like he was so mixed up, he really thought that this wasn't a permanent decision he was making. Which if you think about how games work, that would make sense. Here's what the judge wrote. It's my firm belief that as a human being, this killer suffered from a serious defect of the mind. My opinion would be that most of the activity that is required for success in these games takes place in the limbic system of the brain, where the issue is to act or not react. So kind of your primal instincts, your fight or flight, rather than that part of the brain that would re result in sort of wisdom or compassion or thinking or contemplation of consequences. He said, I believe that the reward or stimulus that this provides is sufficient to cause a release of large amounts of dopamine, the same as would be released were someone to ingest cocaine or any other drug with amphetamine properties. Otherwise, you couldn't play 10 or 12 or 15 or 18 hours at a time. He says, I believe that just as depression and anxiety can cause changes in the brain, an addiction to these games can do the same thing. The dopamine surge, the stimulation of the nucleus, it's the same as an addiction, such as that when you stop, your brain won't stand for it. So you think of kids out there, and, and here, here's what's weird. Like, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I got to play video games when I was a kid, and I loved that, and I remember the arguments with my mom of, like, Mom, this is going to increase my hand-eye coordination, or Mom, like, if I go to the military, I'm going to be better at it if I really can beat this game. Like, I had all that, and I know you all have that. Um, so I had to get honest with myself here as I was reading this and set down my own defenses a little bit and my own excuses and say, like, this, this is real. Like, this is affecting people at a level 
that's beyond all those silly excuses. One story that this book profiles is of a a mass murderer who, when he was in prison, um, was asked to kind of go back and tell his life story. And he said, he started his life story by saying, I remember when I was a kid, I would play outside. And then my parents bought me a Nintendo 64. And it was a few little innocent games, and he named what the games were, and he played those. And then for the next holiday, the next birthday, they kept upgrading his game systems. And by the time he was 16, he had no friends. He only had his game systems. He found some solace in online communities and online gaming. But in the end, he was alone and increasingly angry at the world. And as he wrote his sort of manifesto of why he was going to go out and shoot people up and kill people, it came down to this bitterness and anger at how lonely he was. Just thinking, that's, that's a storyline his parents paid for, for him. Certainly not intentionally, not knowing what was going to happen. But it certainly flags us to think through things a little bit more rather than just do what everybody else is doing. Here's another trap. Number four, it's the news cycle. In Ecclesiastes, um, the writer says, you know, history has already been written. Everything that happens under the sun has already happened, and it's going to happen again, and then people forget their history, and then it all happens again, and you just put different labels and different names on it. It's all the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I've fallen into this trap before, where sometimes I'll exhaust the news for the day but I'll still wish there was more, which is kind of like my tip that I have a brain problem with this. Like the fact that, okay, there's nothing substantial in the news, and so what's the answer to that? Go to a different news website and go through all of their stuff, see if there's anything there. And if there's nothing there, then I'll go to news opinion websites and read about like how angry everybody is about what's not happening. And, and at the end of the day, think like I'm wasting so much time and energy and heartbeat in something that I don't even care about, like any of the individual pieces that I don't care about, but can get locked in the cycle. Some people, when they get home, their TV turns on, and it doesn't turn off unless they actually leave their house. Just playing in the background, 24-7 news. All of these addictions, you know, you could say, like, at their core, they don't all represent evil things. But as soon as they're taken past the point of control past the point of intentionality, as soon as they start controlling you rather than you controlling them, you have a problem. The fifth deadly media addiction is the Netflix binge, which is interesting. Have you noticed that even, I mean, we're unintentionally honest about some of this because we actually use the language of addiction to describe the things we're doing. So what is a binge? It's like when an addict just like completely falls off the wagon and jumps in and goes, you know, just does everything they can of whatever their addiction is. And we would, we use the term like, oh yeah, I binged on that show last night. Or to the previous one, people would, would, they would actually admit like, I'm a news junkie. Say, really? Is that like Jesus's plan for your life to be a junkie for anything? I don't don't think so. James 4.14 says our lives are like a vapor, like a mist. It's gone so quickly. You don't want to waste that precious life that God gives you binging. Number six, the gamer life. You know, when I was a kid, 
I'm really grateful for my parents protecting me from this angle of things. And when I was younger, the, the online gaming communities weren't nearly as well-developed as they are now, or sophisticated. And there weren't millions of dollars of marketing and psychological research going in to try to keep people locked into their games like we have now. But I remember um, a few forays into this and realizing how absorbing it can be when you create a new you and you go live through that new you and interact with other people. I found on a local hospital website some coaching for gaming addiction. Say, really, I have to go to the hospital? Well, you you might. here's, Here's what a social worker wrote about gaming addiction. Said it's almost like the gaming world and the real world flip, and the person is spending more time in the world of their game than out of it. As with any addiction, the brain shifts from the prefrontal cortex, which would be like your executive function, your decision-making, the sound judgment, over to the limbic activity, which, remember, is your urges and your primal instincts. It says when that happens, it leads to a disconnect from reality and can cause the gamer to neglect other facets of life, like hygiene, sleep, diet, exercise. Time spent playing a game is also time not spent doing something else. Some gamers would rather play their game than spend time with their families, maybe even than take time to eat. When video gaming trumps basic needs for sleep, food, or connection, you can be confident that it is an addiction and a serious clinical problem. Many video game addicts conduct their social lives through the games, rarely connecting with friends in real life. The success, friends, and excitement they find in their alternate reality leads to increased social isolation. There are warning signs of gaming addiction. Many gamers experience depression and anxiety when they're away from the game. Gamers may lie to hide the amount of time they're actually spending online or struggle with weight gain because of their sedentary habits. They may also react with anger or irritability when their gaming time is threatened, limited, or questioned. Something like that could start out so innocent and yet lead to a lifetime of bondage And like the video we saw earlier, take you out of the most important moments that life has for you, that God may have in store for you. Here's the seventh deadly addiction. The next like. How many likes do you need before you're pretty good with yourself that people like you? Before you feel affirmed and you're all done? Say, well, I, I was kind of hoping for a few more, <laughs> you know, out there. Post a great picture of where I am or something that, something that I've accomplished. And I hope a lot of people like that. Not necessarily wrong for people to like what you post. But here's what we're finding as time goes on, and especially as younger and younger people engage with social media, is that their brain starts to require those likes and starts to stress out when the likes don't happen. And your sense of self-identity, your sense of who you even are, starts to be compromised because you're trying to get the next like. So there's a lot to say about all of these, of course. And all that was was sort of an introduction to what could happen to these deadly addictions. I thought it might be helpful to look at them in the form of a checklist. So think of this. As we consider the fact that God is calling us to a different kind of life, 
a life that would be filled with the Holy Spirit rather than filled with our addiction, we first start with a moment of honesty and we say, okay, well, which boxes do I check when I think about my media life? Which boxes do my kids check? Which boxes do my grandkids check? That can be the beginning of a really important shift in where you're going in your life. To recognize that what started out as something that was fun, something that you thought would never hurt you, is starting to define you. Once you realize that, you can apply Ephesians 5.18. You know what? I'm not going to be drunk with wine because that will ruin my life. Instead, I'm ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'd like you to look up one more verse in the scripture today, and that's in Titus chapter 2. Because whenever you face an addiction, it's helpful to remember that the power of no is going to be found in a stronger yes. It's not enough to just say, I want to delete all those negative things out of my life. It won't work. It probably won't even work for a day or two. But if you can delete those things out of your life and replace them with something far more compelling, now you have a chance at that new life that we're talking about. Here's what Titus chapter 2 says, verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures... We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. And so there's this life that's possible that's out in front of us. That if we would just sort of shut down the screen, turn off the device, if we just walk outside and say, all right, Lord, here I am, we could start to experience his grace, his transforming power. And he would teach us how to say no to what's wrong and yes to what's right. And he would guide us and he would give us the grace as we go through withdrawal from all the things that we're used to letting our lives be defined by and start walking in a new way. The Apostle Paul, when he was thinking about his life and kind of rewinding and considering, it's interesting, he, he listed a bunch of things that he was doing right, like accomplishments and real-world credentials. And well, he, here's what he said about that. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So he was looking at, like, I mean, imagine if he had stuff that actually was, like, literally worthless in front of him. He said, well, of course, that. He was talking about things that were accomplishments. He said, wow, I consider all of this worthless because I found something so much greater. I found a yes that's so much bigger. Knowing Christ my Lord. There's nothing that compares to the infinite value of that. And so, as we would say, Lord, how do I start? Where do I begin? Today we have a practice. Each week in our series, we get to practice, right? We've done silence time. How many of you last week tried what Dell gave us, the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, uh, going out and just sort of sensing? That? that was great. I love doing that. That was a great way to sort of pay attention to things I would otherwise just walk right by. We're going to turn up the heat a little on the practices, though, this week. 
all right? This one could be the greatest couple days of your life. So I'm not saying it's negative. It's just we're, we're amping it up here. So here it is. Give yourself a 48-hour break from your deadly media addiction. So whatever boxes you checked, say, you know what? I might still have to sort out like how I recover long-term from all this, but I'm going to just take a two-day break from the whole thing. Say, so, Dan, that's easier said than done. Like, you don't understand. What will people say? How will I get my likes? What will the people in my online community say? They'll live through it. They need to do this too. All right, so you say, well, wait a minute, 48 hours of no media addiction. Like, what am I going to do with all my time? So I've got three ideas for you, well, very analog, you know, back-to-basics ideas here. First of all, read Ephesians in a paper Bible, which is going to be a stretch, I realize. But, and I mean, I like, I have a digital Bible. I like that. I like the Version app. But it would, it would, it would kind of defeat the purpose of the practice if you have to fire up your screen to do the screen-free living thing, right? So, so find a paper Bible, blow the dust off of it, and say, all right, book of Ephesians, I want to learn, like, what does God have for me? What is life supposed to be? And what, here you say, I don't know if I'll have time to do that much reading. You're going to have more time than you realize. Uh, you might get to read Ephesians a bunch of times. There's not going to be a lot to do if you truly swear off all the media addiction, right? So here's another thing you could do. Invite a friend out or over to do something media-free. Something that we're always sort of shocked by as parents, but I mean, and I realize I kind of do it with my friends too, is like, we'll say, hey, let's get together, let's go out or whatever, and what do we end up doing while we're out? Hey, look at this video I found. Like, you know, we're, we're still on the screen. Like, so now I'll look at your screen instead of mine, and that's friendship, right? No, so you can't do that. Instead, you're going to say it's going to be media-free activity, like we're going to walk the dunes, or we're going we're to talk to each other face-to-face, or I don't, I don't know, something crazy. So that's, that would be the second thing to schedule during that 48 hours. And then the third thing is do one productive non-screen activity that you've been putting off. So I don't have time to get all my to-do list done. During these 48 hours, you're going to have a lot of time. So it's a perfect time to pull out your to-do list and say, all right, something non-digital that I can do, like paint the door or fix the cabinet or whatever it might be. Um, it'll be a great like envirodynamic activity that's like literal and real and right in front of you. And nobody will like it, and people might not even see it, but, but you'll have done something that's real, all right? So it's going to be a great two-day period. You might even want to extend it and go more than 48 hours if you want to. Um, but, but I think the, the journey of a 1,000 miles begins with the first step. And the first step toward your freedom might be saying, I'm just going to take a day off from all these bondages and live a little and ask God to help me and give his grace as I do. All right, let's pray, and we'll commit this to the Lord. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, as we encounter this, every one of us has a story to tell and a, a piece of this discussion that is piercing our hearts. We know that it's so easy to fall into patterns and addictions that even a few generations ago didn't even exist as categories, and now, Lord, they define our lives. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom, give us help. We pray for that grace that we need to be able to say no to what would be lesser so that we can say yes to what is greater. And for the 48 hours ahead, we look forward to that, Lord, a time when we can really connect with you and not be distracted. Help us, Lord, as we put our heads up this week. In Jesus' name, 